Hello and welcome to another episode of the Serpent Temple podcast. We are here with a roundup of Damnation Festival from Floyd, and I'm going to talk about some spicy experiences I had in Chile. We've got the band back together after a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been a mental few weeks, but it's uh, Damnation was interesting. It was an incredible uh, experience overall. So this was the first outing at the BEC Arena. Or the Beck Arena. I don't know if that's... When you say Beck Arena, it sounds like... It's the like created by, like, Jeff Beck. But <laughs> but no, it was... Um, so this is my second time there this year, because that's where Outbreak Festival was held as well. And, um, like, I am incredibly kind of enamored with this venue now, because it's just... And the thing about Damnation was I always had a great time there, but towards... The last few years at Leeds, you could tell it was getting a bit overbooked and it was just becoming way too hard logistically for the amount of people that were actually attending. Like, you know, you would have to, I was saying this a little bit off camera, like, you know, it, towards the end when the bigger bands were coming on, you would literally have to leave a set half an hour early to even guarantee to get into like the main hall. And the main stage, I was never the biggest fan of. Like sound-wise, it always sounded great, but it was very narrow. So it was like just kind of like a long corridor. Whereas, like, the main arena, uh, like, the main stage at the, the BC arena is super wide, super, like, open, and it's just really easy to traverse between the three stages. Um, I was actually a bit intrigued to see whether we're going to put the third stage, because uh, at Outbreak there was only two, and I was presuming that it was going to be where the skate park was at Outbreak, so which is what they'd done, and they'd done a good job of creating like a third arena there, but it was like a really smooth, like, footfall kind of like flow, like you would walk into one, there was two exits, there was an exit to get directly into the, the smaller arena, and then there was an exit to get directly into the main arena if you wanted to as well, instead of having to go up and down staircases and, you know, winding around like university halls. So it was, um, and I think as well, um, before I get into the actual bands that I've watched, what was also interesting to see Damnation do where Outbreak kind of fell flat a little bit was how they handled the vendors in the outside bit. There wasn't many uh, food vendors at Outbreak and it just became a bit of a logistical nightmare because they weren't allowing you to bring uh, any of your own food and drink initially, which they had to waive just because it was just... You know, there was about four stalls and it was just the queue times were like an hour and a half. Oh, my God. Whereas, like, don't get me wrong, at certain points of Damnation, you would be waiting a long time to get stuff. But, like, you know, if you, if you planned it methodically enough, you could get there at certain points where there, there wasn't so choked with people waiting to queue. And, like, I feel like Damnation had, like, a, a slightly better setup where they, where they had, like, the merch tent and more seating and uh, a big canopy as well, which Damnation didn't have. There wasn't much seating when, uh, sorry, when, when Outbreak... Uh, held the event there so it was uh, yeah it was overall i think it was a pretty successful um transition to a new arena and the bands themselves were for the most part like pretty fucking amazing so first band i watched were a band called distant who were a dutch slam band um and it's funny we were talking about this off camera like i had never heard of this band before but like a slam band was like the last thing i was expecting <laughs> with a name like distant but it was um it was pretty good it was a good opening act um i noticed they had a quite a good uh, t-shirt in their merch tent in their merch like little um setup they had a uh it's an anime i've been watching called chainsaw man have you ever heard of it? But they had like Chainsaw Man, like underneath the, no the the band logo, which I thought was pretty cool. And they also had a shirt that said Breakdown, but it was like the Pornhub porn font. Oh my god! 
And I was like, I was like, that is like dying fetus, one shot, one kill levels of like, like cringe. But I kind of want the shirt just, <laughs> just, just for sheer cred. But it's um, that they they put on a great set, and then um, it was interesting because one thing I've noticed about uh, Damnation and to a lesser extent Bloodstock as well is I feel like Deathcore is making this weird kind of comeback in the mainstream a little bit. And, you know, with, like, the success of Lorna Shaw and the sort of um, leaps and bounds that band's been taken. Um, and also, like, you know, like, I wouldn't have put bands like Oceano and Despised Icon as, like, your traditional Damnation bands. But I think it's something that's seen in the last few years as kind of... Uh, welcomed into the fold whereas before you know well, I remember when Deathcore was first becoming prominent that they were very much a dirty word in the scene in the same way that Metalcore had become a new metal pre previous to that mm. so I think it's been interesting to see how the scene's kind of shifted in accepting these bands and I think that's largely due to the fact that the bands themselves have kind of made a concerted effort to not be as much of a parody of the genre as they used to be like you know don't get me wrong like you know nothing against uh suicide silence like especially like the mitch L lucker era but like that is like your archetypal what you expect death to sound like and that sound i felt like was parodied for quite a few years whereas now you've got bands like lorna shaw who are doing something a bit different and then even a band like despised icon who are one of the first death bands who in my opinion have always you know really embodied the true fusion of like equal parts death metal and hardcore so it wasn't just like a super down-tuned, like, you know, basic, sludgy, like almost corn-esque style riffs that a lot of new metal bands kind of emboldened. Like, you know, bands like Despised Icon were like one of the first to do it. And they're still, which, I mean, it was one of my highlights of the festival just because it, they were just one of the the bands that I think, you know, even from an early stage, similar to a band like Red Cord as well, took equal parts death metal and hardcore and presented something that was actually really quite unique musically. So, but I'll get into them a little bit when they're, because they were on a bit later. But the second band was Oceano, who was yet yeah, another deathcore band. Who were, they were very good. And like, I am not like overly familiar with their material. Mm -hmm. But uh, I will say the vocalist, Adam Warren, was fucking unbelievably good live. Like, I would say he sounded better than Will Ramos from Lorna Shaw. Because he's kind of like the new standard bearer for like the extreme vocals. And one thing, and I like Lorna Shaw, but one thing I noticed when. Uh, they were playing bloodstock was that he his vocals had like a lot of gain reverb and delay like it was boosted up mm. like tenfold i think because i'm not sure i mean don't get me wrong like he's a very talented vocalist but i think like you know i think he needed that extra like help to to get the projection whereas like adam from oceana came on and was just like you could tell like there was not there's nothing really added on but he just sounded absolutely monstrous and the band was so tight live as well like the drums and just the syncopation between the guitars, everything just sounded so crisp. And and that's another reason why I think, you know, this was such a good move to this arena because, like, from a sound perspective, it's always sounded stellar. I've never heard a bad set in any of these stages at this arena. Whereas, like, you know, how many times can you, can you really say that about a festival or an event where you haven't witnessed at least one set or one moment where just like, oh, that sound was a bit shitty, that was a shame. Like, you know uh then i watched uh aerial ruin and bellwitch perform stygian bow which was their collaborative effort that they released uh i want to say 2019 
it's one of those things where like I can't tell what was released in the last four years because <laughs> like <laughs> it's been yeah. such a whirlwind. It's like it's impossible to pinpoint the moment. But it was um, that was good and that was like a welcome change of pace because like the first two bands were quite heavy and it was quite sort of like frenetic, fast paced and high energy. Whereas like this was you know a, a, it's similar to like you know it, it's 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 not like. Um, uh, Mirror Reaper in the sense that it's um, like overly funeral, doomy or sludgy. Like it's a lot more melancholic. There's a lot more acoustic work, a lot more clean vocals. So it was like it was like quite a nice reprieve from like the previous bands. Um, and I caught about 40, I caught about 75% of it because I had to rush off early to uh, catch a full of hell who I've never seen live before. And they're one of those bands who, I mean, they're, they're a very collaborative band. They've done a lot of work with like The Body before. And uh, they were scheduled to do a, they were going to be the artist in residence for Roadburn, I think in 2020 before it got cancelled. And I know they were working uh, in tandem with Lingua Ignota in that position. And I'm sure that would have been pretty uh, epic. But it's, um, they've a band that always intrigued me because like, um, they've got like a pretty like, like chaotic and like super like intense blend of like black and death and even like touches of industrial as well like the vocalist dylan he had like a like like a like kind of like a mixing desk like setup where he was like doing like a lot of effects and stuff like so he'd spend like two minutes like screeching and growling and then go to the desk and like do some effects and stuff and it was just really like kind of fucking gnarly and i thought it was like really good uh that was they were the one band that suffered a little bit from the sound so, but I think it's because I was standing on the left and I think it's just the way mm. maybe the guitars and the vocals were panned. So I moved to the right. I typically tend to stand on the right at gigs. I always find that that favors like my ears because I think I maybe because I'm a little bit deaf in one ear. So I found that um, it's, they sounded far better on the right than they did on the left-hand side of the stage. But that was cool. Um, that was a pretty good set. Pretty much there was no bad set. But even if there was, I'm not going to talk about it because, you know, I'm captured positivity. <laughs> but uh for hell were great and then it was pig destroyer and one of the main uh draws of this festival that really drew me in was the fact that you had they kind of went a bit roadburn this year with their album sets and so you had pig destroyer performing prowler in the yard in full you had Godflesh doing street cleaner uh at the gates doing slaughter of the soul and then converge or converge headlining with um uh jane dome cool so Prowler in the Yard, I think I, I think I bought that in like 2002, so maybe like a year after it was released. And that was like my first kind of real exposure to grindcore music. So it was, I was absolutely adamant that I wanted a really good position So for, for this set. So I was like literally like front left. And do you know what? It's like, um, I hate being at the front for gigs because like, you know, I'll just go on record and say I fucking can't stand crowd surfers. Like, nothing against them, but, like, there is nothing more annoying than having to constantly fucking look out for, like, a hundred people coming over your head. And like I said, I'm not saying that it should be banned. I'm not saying that I'm, like, that 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 I'm going to fucking, you know, be annoyed at someone crowd surfing over me. But at the same time, it's why I never tends to like lurk at the barrier at, uh, at gigs because it's just it just becomes a giant pain in the ass because i feel like you've got to have you know like fucking like an owl like peripheral vision all the time to keep, keep an eye on whether or not someone's going to land on your head and spoiler alert someone did fucking eventually land on my head and jarred my spine <laughs> but anyway but it was an amazing set and then, like it really kicked off and it was just they were super tight like jo hayes still sounded like an absolute beast on vocals 
uh like scott the guitarist was like super tight the sound was impeccable even at the front that's another reason why i tend not to go to the front sometimes if sometimes the sound suffers a bit mm. um but no it still sounded absolutely amazing and just that like, the crowd went absolutely ballistic for it and it was definitely one of those moments it was like kind of like a uh, like a a checklist kind of moment for me. It was just like a bucket list sort of thing. So that w it was cool to see them and the first time seeing them because I'd never seen them live before. First performing Prowler in full. Uh, and then, uh, probably for the surprise of the festival, I went to the second stage to watch Misery Index live. Cool. And I know you guys watched uh, Misery Index in Hellfest, right? Yeah. They were so fucking tight. They are really good, yeah. I could not believe how tight they were. And like, you know, I was a little bit apprehensive because sometimes, because I know how proficient they are on record and sometimes it's just an absolute mess live. But they were just super, super just on point and tight. And like, you can really hear like the similarities between uh, Dying Fetus and them in terms of like some like the riff structures and like the grooviness of some of the riffs. But, you know, it's not a rip off of Dying Fetus, but you could tell that, you know, that they, they've, they've shared like some of the history. And it was just, it was just absolutely immense. The only thing that annoyed me was there was a smoke machine that was running for about 50 minutes. <laughs> and I was just like, it was getting super fucking smoky. And I was thinking like, this can't be fucking good for my lungs. But oh. other than that, that was another fucking great set. And then it was Godflesh performing Street Cleaner. I don't think, so I was speaking to someone else that uh, noticed this. I don't think the drummer was there. I can't remember his bloody name. Really? Well, obviously, Justin was there. Hmm. Um, but like, I think it was just him and another... Um, guitarist okay. Um, but I caught like most of it and this is the thing even though the setup at the BC arena was much better than Lee's I was still having to do a lot of hopping and, and diving around to try and catch bits and bobs of what I wanted to watch because you know and this is testament to how good the lineup was because you know I was finding myself having to constantly go between stages to try and catch as much of what I wanted to watch as possible but inevitably I was going to watch Wolves in the Throne Room but I just needed a break and just had to sit down but Gold of Flesh were pretty good. They were pretty intense. And it was just like, um, one thing I always like about their live shows is the fact that uh, they've always got the visual accompaniment with like the laptop rigged up to like the uh, the screen at the back. And they're always playing like some suitably dystopian and hellish landscapes in the back. And uh, it worked really well on the stage in Damnation because it's got a really big screen and it's got two massive um, panels at the side, which at Outbreak, they were showing what would eventually become the uh, footage of the live show they were uploading to YouTube. And Damnation were kind of doing something similar. They didn't have as professional a rig as Outbreak had, but they had like um, a good view of the stage for people that might have been a bit further back. And it just reminds me, I don't know if I've told the story before, but... Um, uh, the last time I watched Godflesh, I think it was when they were headlining the Sophie stage at Bloodstock. And what happened was halfway through the gig, uh, the laptop packed in. So you just had like the era screen <laughs> for like half the gig. It was like, I just thought that was quite amusing, but it was still a sick gig. Um, so they were good. And then after that, I think I had a little break and was uh, preparing myself for Despised Icon. So I was talking to them about them a little bit earlier on about how they're kind of like one of the pioneering uh, deathcore acts. And they were so insanely tight and energetic live. They've got a cool setup because for those who don't know, they've got two vocalists, like one that kind of handles the more traditional hardcore vocals and one that's more of like a death metal vocalist, even does some pig squeals and stuff. But they've just got such a good dynamic on stage and they've got some of, in my opinion, just the bounciest grooviest like riffs and breakdowns in the entire scene and like hearing it live like people were fucking popping off for it 
And it was like it was like being back at Outbreak a little bit because there was a fair amount of like hardcore dancing and stuff going on. So like people were like thrown down for it. I wasn't because you know I'm, I'm still retired, but from the pit. <laughs> but it was um, it was just tremendous. And like you know, like I said, it was made so much better by the fact. And I've said it already that it's just so easy to move between stages. Like you know, because it used to really tire me out at Damnation. Like last year we had a big group of us went and we had a few friends that hadn't been before and they were just like fuck. And I was like this is exhausting. Like, this is so fucking tiring. And that just didn't really feel that at this, uh, this damnation at all because there was enough adequate seating outside. You had enough space to kind of chill if you wanted to. Um, and it was just it was just so smooth. And it, I think, you know, I could see them having a lot of growth and success at continued lineups. And, you know, what I would like to see them do now is kind of go with this trend of kind of doing this roadbed thing of booking bands to do exclusive sets and stuff because i think if there's one thing this lineup proved was i mean it was an accident initially because ministry had to pull out mm. so and they couldn't find a suitable replacement in time which is why they asked the four biggest bands to do these album sets and i in my opinion that's what became the biggest draw for the festival i agree yeah so i think like you know there's something in the uk that i think you know there's a gap in that market that I think Damnation could really fill. And, you know, let's be honest, I feel like that's the main reason a lot of people go to Roadburn. They come for these specially created events mm. and sets and stuff because that's what you want to see. If you're someone like myself or ourselves that have been to a lot of gigs, you know, you've kind of seen it all. Like, you know, there's not really many bands out there that 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 they're, that, that they're performing live that you could truly get excited about. So I feel like that's why you need to come in it with a different angle. And I feel like, you know, this happy accident at Damnation of the four bands performing the sets has just ended up being, you know, creating the biggest buzz about the festival for the longest time. Like, everybody online was saying about how it was their favorite Damnation, and everybody was talking about how hyped they were to see, like, these albums performed in full, like, especially Jane Doe, which I'll get to in a second. So it's just, you know, it's just, I think, you know, that they've kind of um, tapped into something there that I think it'd be stupid not to capitalize on. Um, so Spider's Icon were great. And then I got Barrier for At The Gates, which All was right. immense. So uh, just to give a little bit of context, I'm sure I've spoken about it on, the, uh, on here before, but like they were one of the first kind of like extreme metal bands or metal bands in general that I truly got into. And even though Slaughter of the Soul is not my favorite At The Gates album, uh, it is still widely considered to be one of the most influential and seminal albums of the entire scene especially for those that are into um, the more modern uh, wave of heavy metal music that was coming around at the turn of the millennium. So bands like Killswitch, Lamb of God, the metalcore bands, like, you know, this is, you can pretty much trace the DNA of a lot of those bands that became huge back to At The Gates and also Carcass as well with albums like Heartwork. So Slaughter of the Soul is an important album for myself and for the scene. So I felt like I had to be in a good position to see it live. And it was it was amazing. And they had the original lineup as well. So like Anders was back playing the mm. guitar in the band. So it was quite special to see the original lineup playing the original album, which is not often the case because by the, by, the, by the time, you know, a band is 25, you know, almost three decades deep into their career, it's very rare to have like the original lineup still members of the band. So... It was cool and it was amazing. Like, you know, they're always great live and it was great to hear, you know, like tracks on the album that they haven't played in, in years. And it was just, uh, it was just a pretty special moment. You know, it was a shit ton of crowd surfers for that one as well. That's the one where I jarred my neck, but you know, 
But it was it was pretty fucking good. And I managed to nab the set list, which was cool. <laughs> I think I got the set list because the security guard that was directly in front of me, like I kept like catching like a good like 80% of the crowd surfers and just gently handling them over to this Aww. guy. So I think it was like, he gave, he's like shook my hand afterwards. And then like <laughs> the guy, uh, I think it was one of the members of the band ripped off the set list and gave it to him. And he just, just gave it straight to me. Oh, that's so nice. I, was, like, I, was, like, I normally don't even give a shit about set lists. Like I literally don't care. But that's like a pretty... Cool but um, wow. at the end of the set, it was my favorite moment of the festival. And it this really made me laugh. Um, about five people down from me, there was this um, like kind of like European couple that were uh, also barrier. And towards the end, so the last track, like the guy was like full on like bawling, like actually Aww. crying his eyes out. He was obviously so happy to <laughs> see it in full. And like it was like being at a warning gig again. Oh my this. God. But it was like he was like full on like sobbing. And, <laughs> and while, <laughs> while he was sobbing, like this giant guy was crowd surfing and landed no. directly on his head. No. It was just this poor guy is just there, just like having like a fucking oh. emotional outpour, and he just gets brought back to reality oh by someone God. just landing square on his head. Fucking hell. And it was just like, yeah, that was, that was quite amusing. Uh, and then after that, I think I was going to decapitate the plane afterwards, but I was just fucking absolutely flagging. So I think I took a bit of a drink break and then uh, just gathered my energy for uh, Converge playing uh, Jane Doe and Fool. And once again, I saw people crying in the crowd to this as well, especially when they played the title track, Jane Doe. Um, but and it was fucking amazing. Like, you know, Converge are always super, super tight live. Like, you know, we it was one of the first albums we reviewed, actually, was Jane Doe on remember, the podcast. Yeah. And, like, you know, I think what's great about when this is the album on record, it sounds like a live album because it's so raw and frenetic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it just translates so well when it's played live. And, like, and one thing I always enjoy when I watch bands uh, playing live is just, it's just when the live show has a, a lot more low ends. And it just has that bit more like heaviness and just oomph to it that sometimes is missing on the record. And it was just tremendous to hear some of the tracks there. Tracks like Home Record were just absolutely blistering. Uh, and obviously you've got the more mellow track Phoenix and Flames, which is just uh, absolutely just was just just beautiful. And then the title track Jane Doe was amazing. And uh, they played a cover of Wolverine Blues by Entombed, which which I think they did at Roadburn as well a few years prior, which was amazing. And it was just a great set and a great way to cap off the cap off the evening. And it was really easy to get to as well. I was staying in the uh, Sasha's Hotel in Manchester, which has been dubbed uh, Manchester's answer to the Sasso Hotel, <laughs> the one that Elisa Lamb died in. You know the story about the girl that fell into the water tower? What? Yeah, just because it looks similar and it's like a bit of a dive. But it's oh. cheap, and it was like I thought we were like, oh, the Cecil hotels where people at Damnation and Leeds used to stay. I thought it was like that. It was like the new. <laughs> no, Leeds it's the hotel. one. It's the one no, near no, Skid it's... Row in like San Francisco, Fucking where like hell. where like a lot. Like I think I think. Yeah. Well, what happened? So this lady just like fell in the water tank and died. She was so she was Canadian. She was a student, and she was doing like a tour around the U.S. And she booked into this hotel. And uh, what happened was she was on medication. I think she was bipolar. And she wasn't taking the medication, and she basically wandered up to the um, the the roof and fell into the water tank. But it was a conspiracy for the longest time because um, the tank was closed when she was discovered. So they thought there might be some foul play at work, and there was like even like 
theories about it being supernatural because the footage that went viral was the last footage of her was her acting really weird outside one of the lifts mm. and she seems like people are trying to say she was possessed but she was just obviously you know a very she troubled spent, person yeah. um but there was a netflix documentary about it and it was discovered in the documentary that the roof uh, the door to the tower was actually open and it was only reported that it was closed and that was actually false so there oh, wasn't okay. really any foul play but it was still like a really tragic event and um but like the hotel had like a long history of like serial killers staying there staying there and stuff i think uh there was a uh, richard oh, i forgot what his name is i've got the name of the serial killer but he was uh staying there for a bit and richard. yeah just richard. just rich yeah. well-known serial killer serial richard. killer rich richard dick <laughs> big rich yeah <laughs> <laughs> big bad rich Here comes. i can't remember it's annoying as soon as soon as we stop recording i'm gonna remember his fucking name but like he's the night stalker richard richard ramirez richard ramirez he's a night stalker yeah. nice. richard Same. ramirez he sounds like a wrestler it does a bit, yeah. The Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. <laughs> but uh, I just want to formally apologise to the Sashes Hotel in Manchester. That's not me calling it Manchester's answer to the Sasha Hotel. That's how it's been dubbed online. I had a perfectly pleasant time staying there. Okay. And uh, even though they needed ID for me to check in, which I thought was quite rare <laughs> in a hotel, right? You don't normally need to provide ID. I need ID, man. I swear to God. Oh, don't. I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just I I'm trying to be like this is like Manchester's answer to the serial killer hotel. And you walk in and they're like, we need to see this guy's yeah. idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I actually lied. I said to him because like I didn't bring my ID because um, I just wasn't, I just, I just wasn't okay. thinking. Yeah. And I was saying, no, I'm still waiting for it to come back from the office. And I was like, well, have you got a picture of ID? And I said, like, I've got a picture of my old passport, which luckily I had. And they let me in, but maybe it, it must be because I think there's a lot of um, there is some nefarious activity that goes on there, because um, it is it is like in this back alley, and like I don't mind it so much, but like I could see how some people would be a bit um, apprehensive <laughs> staying in that part of town. But it was great, and it was so back to my original point. It was really easy to access the BC Arena. You get a tram right there, which is pretty cool. I like trams. Um, I just, I just, I, I love how dangerous they are. They're dangerous. Well, I mean, well, when you go to a place that has a tram network, so whether it be Croydon or Manchester, oh, in case stuff, you walk in front of it, right? Well, it's so fucking easy to get yeah. hit by one. Like it's literally just like you've got the. It's just. It's just like, there. You know, they go yeah. slow. But you don't hear them. No, and like they are pretty stealthy. So like stealthy trams. Yeah, stealth those damn sneaky <laughs> stealthy trams. <laughs> Stalking through the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it was, um, yeah, but it, it was just great. And, like, you know, I'm definitely, it's got me hyped for next year. And I'm quite excited. It's always a mark of a good festival when you're excited to see what's going to happen the next year. Mm. You know, sometimes I've been to a few festivals where I'm being like, oh, that was a bit of a slog. I don't know how I feel, how I'm going to feel about going next year. I'll just wait and see, that sort of thing. But now I'm just like, that was a fucking, like, roaring success. So I feel like it'd be great to see. Um what happens next and just yeah just shout out to the whole team for putting on and uh, a spectacular event much fun was had by myself and everyone in attendance it appeared who are you hoping to see on the lineup next year oh that's a good question um see now what was interesting about the lineup i was kind of touching on this with uh when i was commenting about the amount of death call that was there 
I kind of do feel like it kind of has transitioned away from what would be considered a stereotypical Damnation lineup. So obviously there's no one there as much like straight up Black and Death as there used to be. Uh, to be honest, you've always got festivals like Incineration and Cosmic Voids for that anyway. Mm. But like, I feel like it wouldn't have hurt to just have at least one or two bands from those respective genres. Like even like a Nile or something. I feel like I want to see Nile live. I don't know why. I just, have you not seen him live? I have, but it's been so long. I feel like enough time has passed <laughs> for me to say, like, you, you know what? In. I would fucking like to see them again. Yeah, like, they're very good live. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're sick. And yeah, even like a Vader, you know, like they played Damnation before and it's been a few years, so they could come back and they would go down the tree. Or, um, but as we were saying, like, you know, I think the other day, I think, you know, festival organizers are realizing now that, you know, black metal is such a quagmire and such a murky area to book that I do understand that a lot of festival organizers are very apprehensive about booking bands because mm. it is, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a minefield uh, ethically and morally sometimes. It, it certainly can be. Yeah. So. yeah. But we'll see. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm open to suggestions. I've got, um, I'm now going to download next year as well for a stag do, which is going to be exciting. So I get to see the, uh, the two Metallica sets. It's too metallic. I haven't looked at the download lineup. It's too metallic. It's sets. actually pretty good. To They're be playing St. Anglinfall. Well, it's their tw- <laughs> <laughs> that'd be great. So, it's their twenty-year anniversary uh, downloads. So uh, they've got an extra day, and so there's two Metallica sets. Whoa. So they're not going to be repeating any songs. <laughs> See, just for me, I was like, you know what? So I've not seen them for a while, and I grew up like liking Metallica. So fuck fair it. enough. If you like yeah. them, fucking go for it, man. Well, I've got a good yeah. fucking excuse to go. It's a stag do, so there'll be a good group yeah. of us going. Do you so. have, you'll feel no shame for being there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping for Frantic. That's what I want. Oh, yeah. But it's actually quite a good lineup. I can't remember who else is on it, but maybe near the time I'll do a little spotlight on it. And yeah, uh, I'd, be, I'd love to hear what it's like. It's definitely an interesting place to have a stag do. That'll be mental. Yeah, should, should be fun. But it's uh, expensive. That's 370 quid. What? Yeah. For a normal so. ticket? Yeah, I think it's all in. It's about that, yeah. So what it's, it's the an investment. Fuck? Yeah. That is so ex- You could go on holiday. Yeah. And like do holiday things. Yeah. I think, do you know what? I think it's just the way the world's going. I think just prices for everything's jumping up. Like Cosmic Void, that two day yeah, Black Metal Festival. Like, yeah, it was like 150. Or, and it was like, fuck. I was like, I can't really afford to do that. You know so, what I, I realized as well is like el- the electricity bill for playing a show now is going to be crazy. Oh, God. I can imagine. Yeah, like just the running costs for a show must have tripled, I guess, which is yeah. kind of sad and scary. Yeah. We're going to have uh, festivals where each band's got like a five-minute set. <laughs> have solar-powered festivals, which yeah. do exist, actually. Oh, really? That's yeah. quite cool, yeah. I can't remember what it's called. There's a festival that's like completely like energy-wise self-sustaining. It's they, in the UK. They need to book Sun-O to play that festival. Or Sun, I should say. You don't call them Sun-O, do you? You call them Sun or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which is fine, whatever. Who cares? I think it's great that there are festivals out there doing stuff like that. I think Burning Man as well tries to do stuff like that Oh, too. really? Yeah. Yeah, there was like a... I know there was a stage this year that was solar-powered, which is a perfect place to have a solar-powered stage. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds cool. I mean, speaking of sun and fun, I mean, you've had an interesting uh, adventure. I have, yes. I went to South America, um, which was immensely enjoyable. I really enjoyed it. I went to do the Inca Trail. I did a ton of hiking, climbed some mountains, did loads of scary things, went in a plane, saw the Nazca Lines, 
went on the sea, saw penguins and seals and literally millions of birds. I saw dolphins. And then um, after Peru, um, I went to Chile or Chile. And that was amazing. I was only there for a day. Um, and this is what I'll talk about on the podcast because no one really needs to hear about my my like weird mountain holiday. But Santiago was amazing. There's a huge metal scene there. Um, the moment we got off the plane, there were just like people in Slayer shirts. And, Sick. And like, you know, I just saw loads of merch. And I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. It's, Santiago was like a giant Camden in a way. It was like really, there was amazing graffiti everywhere. There's like really interesting looking like shops and people and bars. And like, I basically, um, I loads of random people in the music scene just add me on Facebook. And the week before someone in Santiago had added me and I, I just messaged him like, hey, where are some good places to hang out in Santiago? And he just sent me two bars that helpfully are opposite each other on the street. So we, I'd woken up at 5 a.m. in Cusco in Peru, flown to Santiago, and that evening we just went to the metal bar to be like, "What's this going to be like then?" Um, yeah, we and it was great. Like the the both really big. We sat down, and this guy comes up to us. He's like, "Oh, there's going to be a gig here. Um, do you guys want to like be in the gig? Do you want to like pay for it?" And we were like, "Yeah, sure." So we had no idea who was going to play, um, and like. We were with two people who the friend of mine had met at um, a hostel in Colombia. So they had never really been to a gig ever, I think. And definitely not like a stoner show, which is what this was. So we, we got like the lineup told to us. And I recognized one of the bands, Demonauta, who are fantastic. And the other one was called, um, oh shit. Um, <laughs> you can see I've really prepared. That's a good name for a band. Called, oh shit. <laughs> Actually, that is a good name for a yeah. band, especially a band like this. Oh shit! It's like that band was. I, was I telling someone about the Australian grindcore band? It's called Fuck. I'm dead. <laughs> you know what was crazy in Santiago? I was like looking for some food because, like, oh my god, food is so cheap in South America. It's what? fucking amazing. But there's there's literally a fast food chain in Santiago called Fuck Guys. Oh yeah, maybe show me this. Yeah, yeah, and it's like the exact same logo as Five Guys, but it's fuck called guys. Fuck Guys, and they have like fuck burgers. <laughs> <laughs> things like that <laughs> it was so it was so weird that's amazing um the, okay so the support band was called familia deserti um it was like la familia deserti like desert family they were really good it was the side project of the guitarist of demon Auta, Oh, nice. Um, and they were really 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 cool like really obviously desert rock highest influenced but they had like they were bringing their own thing to it too um and it was cool because basically the venue was like loads of tables. It was like almost like a jazz bar, but it was the whole, it was a metal bar. They had like metal posters, like downstairs. It was like the Black Heart, but like South American. Yeah. And they had like um, tables outside on both bars and you could like see the other bar across the road. So you could literally bar hop. And then as you're like sitting down on these like really comfortable chairs and like watching this band on a really big stage, there were just people ordering empanadas. And they were just bringing like warm empanadas and people were just like chowing down and like hanging with their friends and family. And like all the people there were just like, everyone there is like really beautiful. They have like beautiful hair, beautiful outfits. Like everyone's just cool and chill. Everyone's like, everyone kind of, I could tell everyone knew each other. Like you can tell there's like a really tight scene. Mm. Um, and yeah, like we watched the band play. And then like I talked to the guys um, because like, uh, you know, I'm in a podcast, as, as everyone here understands. So I was like, I want to talk to the musicians here and see what's going on. Um, and it turned out that like me and 
one of the members of Demon Orta, like kind of sem- we didn't know each other, but we like had each other on social media. So we like recognized each other, which was really cool that you can do that on the other side of the world. Uh, that's actually insane when you think about it. That's it? cool. It, it was ve- honestly like c- kind of one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me because I've just like traversed part of the world walked into a metal bar all of this like completely spontaneous and this guy was just like hey you're Nina Saidi and I was like wow. <laughs> it was really cool and um they were really nice I talked to like yeah the guys from Demon Auto, David was absolutely wonderful their tour manager was really cool me and my friend were taking selfies outside the toilet in the bar and he comes out of the men's toilets and like obviously we're taking pictures and he's like what the fuck and we're like oh sorry yeah just taking pictures and he like also spoke english like my friend speaks fluent spanish i do not um yeah we just started talking and it turns out he had like he knew a lot of stuff about i think the scene in miami and he'd done loads of music and suddenly you know we've gone from taking toilet selfies to just talking about music with a, a this person on the other side of the world it was very surreal very very beautiful the people there are like so passionate about the scene and i sat down i started talking to demon Orta backstage after their show which was amazing i should talk about that too really bloody good band check out their album tierra de fuego they have like a lot of music online you can listen to this on Bandcamp. um support the guys on like instagram and and everything if you if you can because like these bands work so hard and like they're in like south america is a very difficult continent to tour out of so i was talking to the guys like there's like basically free promoters in south america really um that do like bring in like the bigger bands um so there's like free there's like a guy in chile there's a guy in i think argentina a guy in brazil um, and like they, they apparently they brought down like truck fighters. They brought down Elder, like bands that they really love. But I think if you're a smaller band in South America, trying to get to like Europe, for example, is so difficult. And these guys, like, they cared more. They really wanted to know what it was like in Europe. They were so hungry to find out like everything they could about like the scene in the UK because like obviously there's so much music here. It's, like we have an amazing stoner scene here. But I felt so spoiled when I was talking to them and, and like I could see, they were literally like leaning forward in their seats <laughs> to be like, what what is it like? Um, and I could just tell like these guys really deserve to tour. They deserve to come over to Europe and like get that opportunity that is so much easier for people who aren't like in a completely different continent that isn't normally thought about when you think about these genres. So like, I really would love for people to go and check them out and like give them a little bit of time, um, give them some support because they're a really, really cool band, really hardworking. And David, um, he is like, um, he records bands, he's a producer. He like basically uses apparently like really um, like low key, he uses like Behringer's to do his like recording and stuff and makes it sound amazing. And like, they're very like budget friendly, low budget things to use to to do production and stuff with, but he's like an absolute wizard. And I think like the people, they literally like, he's been making do with what he's got and things like that. I think it's so hard to get hold of like certain types of gear, you know, things like that. So it was really amazing to like walk into a metal scene and just suddenly be like shown around um, and to meet so many people who were like really welcoming, really talented musicians, amazing performers. 
Um, so yeah, like fucking big up Demon Order. Go check out Tierra del Fuego. Check out their discography. Really amazing people. We got some sound bites from talking to them, um, but I don't like obviously because they're not they're South American. They don't do interviews in English normally. So we might maybe get some sound bites to put in the po podcast from what I got, but I only got like disparate bits of recording because yeah. of the language barrier. Um, but yeah, those guys were fucking cool. And after we saw them, we went across the road to the other metal bar. Um, that one was called, so the, the bar I saw Demon Auto in was called Me Bar. And then the bar across the road was called, fuck, something else, Terry's Rock Bar or something like that. It just had like a really generic name. <laughs> it was really generic. And like another band had literally played there that was like a huge band, um, much bigger. I can't remember what they were called because I'm shit. Um, I didn't write it down because... I was on holiday in South America and I wasn't like being a journalist in, in that time. Um, but yeah, that bar was amazing. It was like really, really big. Um, at the beginning, you think it's like the crowbar. It's just like a tiny corridor of a bar next to it. It's like literally almost the same layout as the crowbar. And then you like go in and like there's this huge room with a stage and like a television that's playing football and like the band was like taking all their stuff down. And this room is probably the size of like maybe half the electric ballroom, but then like turned around a little bit. Okay. Um, and there's like loads and loads of tables and people were just sitting down and eating food. And I ordered like the best smashed avocado sandwich I've ever had in my whole life. And it was on like artisanal bread. Oof. Yeah. And like people were eating like pulled pork sandwiches with like mozzarella and really nice ingredients. It was like really, um, it was really good food for, especially considering you're in a metal bar. Like if you had that in the UK, you would probably die of E. coli. <laughs> like <laughs> Fucking gangsters, like fucking patty or something. Yeah, like there's yeah. no way. And I think as well in the UK, we don't have as much land. Like we can't spread out as much. But this bar was so fucking nice. And like when we were in there, they were like, the one thing I really noticed was the merch is really interesting. Like there were so many bands that I didn't recognize just because they're like local South American bands or local Chilean bands, I should say. Um or like maybe they're Brazilian. I I no fucking clue. But then I could. I also there was like a guy in a ruins of Beverast long sleeve, and like there are people wearing like really underground merch that you can tell perhaps they got in Europe or something like that. And you can tell it's like that's the primo. Like fuck that guy's got a, this X band merch from like really far away. Like the geo the geography became really apparent in that moment. And like um the people like selling merch at the show. Like there weren't really shirts, they had mainly CDs and caps and things like that. But I could tell that like they were showing me CDs of bands from Europe. They're like, oh yeah, we've got this band, we've got this band. And to me, that's like, yeah, that's normal. Like you can really easily just go get that in a distro here or in, on the mainland in like Germany or France. Whereas I guess there, like everything's really far away from everything else. Um, even like Chile is like really long. It's like very, very thin. It's like only a few kilometers across. Coastal, right? It's, it's like basically close coastal because the and the Andes mountain range and it's like you've got the Atacama desert and you've got Patagonia it's like the driest place in the world um the Atacama and basically like yeah if you after a certain point you there's like no roads because it's just Patagonia it's just insane mountains and beautiful and shit like that so I don't think there's much of like um I don't know I'm ignorant when it comes to the country and the scene I don't know enough but I'm assuming really difficult to go on like a tour where you just get in a van because you have to cross over the Andes to get ah. to like you know the neighboring country to get to Peru <laughs> to like everything is just mountains and desert which is beautiful and it's like one of the most beautiful places I've ever fucking been to but yeah, like, it is not easy being a band there. I've always heard that 
like South American fans are the most rabid. Maybe it's because they're, they're probably more starved for the bands than a lot of the other Maybe, parts yeah. of the world where bands tour more regularly. But they're like the most fervent like fans like of the entire scene, pretty much. I really noticed how every everyone in South America, the metal fans included, were insanely friendly, insanely welcoming, really warm people. Like, yeah, I think, you know, there's like this um, stereotype of like the passionate Latin mentality. And I could totally see that. Like everyone, people were just coming up to us and being like, oh, like, who are you guys? Like, where are you from? Like, what are you into? It was cool. Like, people were just, you wouldn't get that in London. If you walked into a metal bar in London, people don't look at you. Whereas there, everyone's just like, who are these cool new people? But they're also like, they're not, it's cool. Like it's really, the atmosphere is really nice. People were just like really friendly. Um, and there was like, um, yeah, when I was in Peru, in Cusco, which is in the middle of the mountains, um, that's where a lot of people go to begin the Inca Trail. There was like this cafe that was also a rehearsal room. But it was like literally the size of our conservatory. Really? Um, and like you you just walk in off the street and there's like a drum kit and a microphone <laughs> and a place where you could play guitar and you could just go in and rehearse. And then you can also sit there and drink a cup of tea and watch a band rehearse or jam. And you can just do that. So fucking cool. It was really cool. There's like, there's such a huge scene there. And there was like, um, in Cusco as well, there were these people who would just like hang out in this little square nearby. It wasn't even the main square. They were all jewelers, they were all musicians, they all did martial arts, so we got on like a house on fire. I just went and like did some punching with them and then talked jewelry and they were like, hey, come to our show. Like we didn't go to the show because like we were tired from climbing mountains and stuff, but it's cool. You can you can just go to South America and have a really good time if you're into like music and things like that. It sounds utterly fucking out of this world amazing. It's really cool. In, in Lima as well, um, my friend is really into salsa and dancing and she trained like she's been dancing for years she danced and she went to cuba for several like months and trained salsa in cuba which is like the most difficult salsa apparently is cuban salsa so in lima we like went to do a salsa class and i ended up dancing for like three hours <laughs> and like it was mostly like in spanish but i was like okay i'm, I'm doing it like I, I did some salsa and bachata and then afterwards we went to this park um which was like this really famous park and there were just people dancing in this park and you could just go and like if you went in on a certain time on a certain day, there's always people dancing and you can just go and dance with these people and practice your salsa and there's someone playing music and there's like this little like dip in the ground and there's like a little circle thing and there's just like people just doing salsa, which is really crazy and cool. And I, I wish we had stuff like that here too, where you can just like go to some park and, and have wholesome dancing times. That's two things we need to incorporate into the UK metal scene. Like <laughs> salsa. Great food at venues. <laughs> yeah. So you get a decent meal and fucking salsa pits. <laughs> salsa pits. One of the best things I saw is um, like they take Halloween. I was We were there during Halloween and Day of the Dead. Oh, wow. Which was fucking sick. But there, there was like this huge banner in a town that just said Salsa-ween. <laughs> Salsa-ween. <laughs> Salsa-ween. <laughs> and it was like a witch's eyes. Like yeah. really like, whoa, Halloween. But then there was like also someone dancing salsa. Love it. It was so funny. Salsa-ween. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. You know, um... When I uh, had my um, short-lived YouTube career during the beginnings of YouTube, one of the things I used to do was like upload like compilations of music from certain scenes. And the one scene that always fascinated me was Colombia. They have one of the biggest death metal scenes in the world. Really? And one of the the music there is insane. I would just love to know and just be a fly on the wall and just see what it is about Colombia that makes 
that makes death metal so prominent there. Like it's the bands from that scene are ridiculous. That's amazing. Yeah. I saw as well when we were in Cusco, I, it was unfortunately I missed it because I would have fucking gone. I walked past a poster of indecipherable black metal logos. Oh, sick. And it was like, there were like 20 logos and they were playing, they, they'd played like two days prior at some random bar in Cusco. And it, I was just so intrigued because I haven't like, in the UK, you wouldn't see that many black metal bands on one. I'm assuming that black and death metal on one roster. There was so many of them. And like, I saw a guy with like face tattoos and like long hair and like the sort of like black metal visage of like no talking to me etc like with his guitar walking down the street and i was like that guy's blates in a black metal band and i just <laughs> want to listen to peruvian black metal yeah. so if anyone here has tips for us link your bands we will mention it on the podcast i will happily review some cool south american death metal i have to delve deep into my hard drive to see if i've got any peruvian metal on there it's uh yeah uh, it's um <laughs> i'll tell you a story about when um but my hard drive got corrupted. This is pre-streaming, so there's no streaming services. So I used to consume music just through like uh, digital downloads and then free files that I had on the computer. Mm. And my hard drive got corrupted once, and I didn't have any backups. It was all on the external hard drive. Fuck. And I was like, oh, I found a place to send it off to repair it. And um, it wasn't until that it was being repaired that I thought to myself, shit, I've got so much gore grind on there. <laughs> and like, I hope my hard drive doesn't get seized. <laughs> I was like, this is going to look so sus. Oh, my God. <laughs> but like, no, obviously it was fine. But... <laughs> Amazing. That sounds like a, uh, sounds like a fantastic time. Yeah, it was Had great. by all. I would really love to go to Chile and maybe Colombia and maybe Peru with you guys and just do like yeah. a Serpent Temple metal tour of South America. That would be sick. I've, I, I would love to go there just to, to experience it. I mean, yeah, hell yeah. We, we'll fucking play. <laughs> Yeah, you guys would go down the fucking storm there. If someone could pay for us to have the flights, then yes. Yeah, that would be nice. But, I mean, performing in Cusco would be... Because basically Cusco is like 3,500 meters above sea level. So doing a high-altitude gig... <laughs> we would not be okay. <laughs> we can't just do that straight off, like, getting off the plane. You have to... You literally have to be there for a few days. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff kicks off in Brazil, I imagine, sort of uh, metal-wise and stuff. They've got that massive festival and things, right? And yeah, but it's um, yeah, no. I've, I've I feel like after this conversation, I really want to discover more of like the local scenes there. Me too. I think uh, it's like I, you know, what I think. There's this sort of I've had this European mentality about music that I didn't even realize I had until I went there. Mm. I was I like. Anything outside of Europe was like, oh, that's cool. It's kind of like exotic. And I'm fucking non-European. And I still think that way sometimes. But yeah, there's like, there's so much music. There's like incredible scenes in like Africa and Malaysia and Japan. And I mean, Australia is Western, I guess. But yeah, you know, South America. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what it's all about. Discovering new music and good times. Hell yeah. <laughs> so that's probably like, um, unless any final remarks about Damnation and or South America. No, uh, other than um, I'm just excited to go back and uh, also the fact that we've got something very exciting happening tonight in the yes. Pipeworks, which will be revealed soon. Fingers crossed. No. Indeed. Um, thank you so much for listening and watching. Please do recommend some South American bands for us uh, that aren't Sepultura because we already have heard of them. Or Crisian. Uh, I know Crisian. Yes, I, I've oh. seen them live, I think. Yeah, they're really good live. Yeah, yeah I didn't realize they were South American, damn. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening and watching. Feel free to like and subscribe. Go support Demonauta and all your favorite South American bands. Au revoir.
Till next time.